Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Vegan Food and Living's Simply Vegan podcast with me, Holly Johnson, and my co-host, Gabriella Clark. With a new episode live every Tuesday, we discuss the latest vegan news, taste test the newest vegan products, and chat to some of the leading names in veganism. Hello and welcome to our first episode of No Meat May. Throughout this this month, we're going to be supporting the No Meat May campaign with Q&A sessions from myself and Gabriella. Uh, We've all been there. We've all been at the start of our journey. You might not be vegetarian yet. You might not be vegan yet. But this podcast is all about supporting everyone, no matter where they are in their journey. You can message us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Let us know what you want to know from us so we can help you get the most out of No Meat May and uh, get you started on your journey towards, you know, dropping meat altogether, maybe giving up dairy, fish, eggs. So, Next week, I'll be speaking to Ryan Alexander, who's the co-founder of No Meat May. Uh, but this week, we thought we'd yeah start off with our Q&A session. So our first question was from Christy Dassau-Reed. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Christy. Um, you actually had two questions. So the first one was about herbs and how they can be used for health and overall immunity. Obviously, we did a podcast uh, where we spoke to Genia de Piero back in March. So do check out that podcast if you're interested in herbalism. You've also asked for some simple recipes using herbs, Christy. We're going to visit that next week. The other part of your question we're going to answer now, which is about tempeh. 
Um, how to make it taste good. So you said it's high in protein. I'd love to know ways of cooking it where it's not so bitter. She also says, congratulations, Gabriella. So kind. Thank you so much. Um, for any new listeners, that is uh, congratulations for well on your pregnancy, which um, <laughs> is, yeah, your first first pregnancy your first vegan pregnancy and uh your first vegan baby it is all rolled up into one (laughs) so yeah tempeh have you ever eaten it Gabriella and how do you cook it if you do I have. So tempeh, it was really interesting to see this question come up, actually, as tempeh is really something that I eat out of home. Um, I've had it cooked phenomenally in restaurants and by kind of really quirky street food vendors and people who are being really experimental um, with vegan cooking. And every time I eat it, I love it. But I completely agree. It's a really tricky thing to get right at home. And if I was choosing to cook or buy tofu or tempeh, I always lean towards tofu just because kind of I feel it's a lot easier, a lot easier to cook with. How about you? So I... Yeah, I've used tempeh quite a lot. And I I did actually stop using it, similar to Christy. I did find it too bitter and the children didn't like it. Um, Tempeh, for anyone who doesn't know, hasn't heard of it, it originated in Indonesia. It's less processed than tofu, although it's still made with soya beans. It's made with whole soya beans and it's fermented. So it's fermented soy. So it's good for your gut. It's prebiotic and it's high in calcium and iron. So it's, yeah, it is a better choice than tofu, but it is maybe um, trickier to cook. But you need to steam it first for around 15 minutes to take that bitterness out and then marinate it. So choose your marinade. I mean, I love um, maple syrup, soy sauce and uh, peanut butter for like a satay marinade. Mm. And yeah, so stick it in your sauce that you've made and place it in the fridge for at least two hours but the longer you leave it the more it will absorb the flavors so ideally maybe like leave it overnight tempeh really does take on the flavor of of sauces and things so a lot of people kind of um throw you know crumble it into things like soups or stews and and chilies and things like that for anyone new to it you can find it in tesco now it's next to the tofu in the plant-based section um you can also buy it in whole food shops so christy i hope those tips have helped you and you will rediscover your love of tempeh so the next question is from ms muds 97 who asks have we read why we love dogs eat pigs and wear cows by melanie joy phd um she says this book opened her eyes as to why it's so hard to reach the people that have not seen behind the carnist curtain So this has been on my radar for a while, actually. I've got friends who have read it and have recommended it, and I've just never got got around to doing it. So thank you, Ms. Muds97. I have now ordered my copy, and I'm going to read it. Um, Dr. Melanie Joy is a social psychologist, and she coined the term carnist or carnism in this book. So carnivores require meat in their diet for survival, Whereas carnists, as she argues, choose to eat meat based on their beliefs. Uh, It's very interesting because 
there isn't really a term, is there, for quote unquote the norm. It's accepted in society that you know we we are all we're, it's all okay to eat meat. It's okay to drink dairy from cows. Um, that's just a normal diet. Again, quote unquote. Um, but is is that normal? Should we accept that as normal? Should we be you know, fighting against that because it's something that society has pressed upon us. And, you know, as the uh, Vegan Society campaign at the moment goes, you know, the future normal is veganism. Have you come across the book, Gabriella? I've definitely heard of the book, but like you, Holly, I haven't read it, although I'm ordering myself a copy as well. Um, but just having a little read around the points that it raises, it's such an interesting angle, isn't it? I think, um, you know, there is that balance between needing meat to survive that angle and then eating it because we're conditioned as a society to think, like you say, that's a normal part of of your diet. And um, and it, it's just an interesting angle, you know, about certain animals we see as completely fine to eat and then really would never dream of eating certain other animals and so kind of where does that cultural belief come from I suppose that it's okay to eat one and not okay to eat the other um so I'm I'm really interested to also buy a copy and and get stuck into that because I think it's a an interesting next level I suppose into into veganism versus carnism it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I know reading up on it, Dr. Melanie Joy argues that um, it's it's all hidden. You know, why is it so hidden? If we are all okay as a society to eat animals, why are we not okay with seeing what happens to them when they go off to the slaughterhouse and, you know, the process? And actually she argues that we're a nation of animal lovers and and actually uh, globally we we love animals we are sentient beings and we feel compassion for for other living things so are we actually okay with what we're doing or we are we so disconnected with it that that's the reason that we are able to to eat you know other living things it's funny isn't it because I know when I look back at um myself when I was still eating a full meat dairy fish diet I wouldn't think twice about the meat that was on my plate or the dairy that I was drinking but say I saw images on social media of an animal being poached or kind of killed for something other than meat it would be really shocking to me and it's so funny how how my thought process was so distorted between the meat that arrived on my plate and then the animals that I saw that I was so shocked to see being slaughtered for for other reasons. It's so it's something that I do struggle with because I mean I always try not to judge anyone because, like you say, we used to be meat eaters ourselves. But often I'll have friends or family or whatever who are upset about I don't know the treatment of an animal that they've seen like you said on social media or um, for example yesterday a a local cow um, was in distress obviously owned by a local farm 
and everyone on Facebook was kind of rallying around to rescue this cow. And I just found myself thinking, well, how many of them will be eating roast beef on Sunday? Or do you know what I mean? It's, it's, mm. it's a funny one, isn't it? Because anyone that sees an animal in distress, well, maybe not anyone, but I would have thought most people would go out of their way to rescue that animal. Yet when they sit down to their Sunday dinner or I don't know, Saturday night steak, they don't put the two and two together. So yeah, really interesting one. Thank you for raising that. It's totally this idea, isn't it, of of what is normal and what you're kind of raised to believe culturally is just the norm. And certainly through choosing to have um, a vegan pregnancy and choosing to raise my child vegan when it comes to eventually things like weaning, I have been met with the odd, uh, I suppose, challenge of, well, why don't you just start them off on a normal diet and then they can choose to be vegan? Mm-hmm. And it's it's so strange that that's so the norm that I'm almost kind of under some pressure from some people, either kind of friends or acquaintances, society or professionals to uh, to go the normal way, I suppose, and eat meat and dairy when... Um, you know, there's so many arguments for and in a positive way for the alternative, which is is veganism. Yeah, yeah, I totally, you know, feel your dilemma. Um, but I think you've got to trust what you believe, haven't you? And what you've learned through all your research um, as you've, you know, gone towards a vegan diet. Well, our final question for this week is from Deborah Newstead, again on Instagram. Um, she would like vegan baking tips well personally I am a terrible baker whether vegan or not I've never been good at baking I'm unfortunately don't have much of a sweet tooth much to my family's dismay or confusion (laughs) um and I I'm just I, I love cooking in a way that's kind of chucking everything in and baking requires way too much precision for me um, however, when I have needed to, to, you know, create a vegan dish that's um, like a dessert for a dinner party or something like that, one of my favorite recipes is a salted caramel pecan pie by Nikki Webster from Rebel Recipes. I just love vegan baking that doesn't require baking, <laughs> which I know I'm sounds... With you, Holly. Yeah, I just love the idea and I love doing it. I just love chucking it all in the blender, blending it up, and you've got this incredible dessert. So this salted caramel pecan pie basically um, involves blending up pecans, almonds, flaxseed, peanut butter, dates, and cacao for the base. Press it down into a, a flan dish or whatever, um, put it in the freezer whilst you make the filling. And then the filling is dates, nut butter. So it doesn't have to be peanut butter. It could be almond butter or cashew butter, some almond milk, coconut oil, salt, and the pecans. And again, you blend it up, um, squash it, you know, press it all down into the dessert. And it is incredible. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really good. How about you? Are you much of a baker? I'm not. I feel like poor Deborah's come to the wrong place because neither of us are particularly great in a in a baking kitchen. Um, certainly, like building on what you said, Holly, I think vegan baking lends really well to a lot of 
what I suppose are raw treats. So the idea that you don't have to bake them and blending things like nuts and dates with nut butters and maple syrup and coconut oil is such an amazing um, ingredient to use as well. You can get kind of low effort baking with really high impact flavor and also still quite nutritious. I know um, not so nutritious if you eat the whole pecan pie, but you've still got <laughs> lots of lots of good ingredients in there as well. For me, a favorite recipe of mine, and it was something that came out at the start of lockdown, the first lockdown last year. One of my treats uh, used to be when I lived and worked in London was the prepped vegan dark chocolate and almond cookie. And at the beginning of lockdown, when all their stores were closed, they started to release some recipes of some of their most popular treats. And they released the recipe to this chocolate cookie. And it's super easy. If I can do it, anybody can do it. (laughs) And it certainly doesn't contain hardly any of the good ingredients. There's lots of sugar, lots of chocolate in there, lots of, um, as you say, kind of golden syrup, coconut oil, things like that. So they're by no means a low calorie, healthy choice, but a really easy, delicious bake. And the recipe is still available either on their social channels or on their website. So if you're looking for an indulgent, easy weekend bake, that would be my go-to. I feel, yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. I'll have to check that out. I, I feel like there are really two kind of sides to vegan baking, isn't there? There's there's the healthy side where you might use things like sweet potato or avocado as, you know, the fat. Um, and then you've got the, the, the more processed side of things where I, I do feel like a lot of vegan baking is quite high in sugar and fat, mm-hmm. margarine type thing. So... Yeah, I mean, one tip is to always use room temperature ingredients. Um, there's some really good tips over at the Vegan Society website. And One Green Planet is also really good. Um, it talks about how to replace eggs in recipes. So um, for leavening purposes, mixing two tablespoons of water with one tablespoon of oil and two tablespoons of baking powder will add lightness to your recipes. If you only only need to replace the egg whites, try adding a combination of one tablespoon of agar powder. And I, th- I, I think most supermarkets do this now, but you might have to go to a whole food shop mm. or get it online uh, with an equal amount of water that has been whipped, chilled and then whipped again. You can also replace eggs with flax seeds, chia seeds, silken tofu. That's a really good one. Uh, non-dairy yogurt, fruit puree. So a lot of recipes use like apple sauce yeah or baking soda mixed with vinegar so there's some you know I think it's just about experimenting and for me you know I want to get things right straight away and I'm sure most people do but I think it does take a bit of trial and error and I think it's the same with any vegan cooking you know give it time read up google it um read some of the blogs because there's so many tips out there and it's just it's just a different way of cooking, isn't it? Definitely. And there are ways to make really delicious vegan sweet treats that are still, you know, really healthy, shall we say, and and ticking boxes like giving you your good fats and and other superfoods in there like chia and and coconut oils and things like that. Um, It's just finding the balance. I know when I you know, when you're out in coffee shops, there's that real mix between raw 
sweet vegan cooking that uses a lot of superfoods and then the super indulgent high sugar Oreo brownie style. Well, we've absolutely loved answering your questions this week. So please do head over to Instagram at Vegan Food and Living or at uh, Simply Vegan Podcast and Twitter, Vegan Food and Living and Facebook. Or you can email me, holly with a Y dot Johnson at anthem.co.uk. We want to keep this going throughout No Meat May and support everybody who's on a journey towards maybe cutting down on meat, giving up meat, or even going fully vegan or plant-based. You're doing so well. You can do this. It's not always easy, but reach out, ask questions, ask for help. Find find some like-minded people. Find people that want to do the same as you, want to do it for their health, want to save the lives of animals or they just want to cut down meat because you know it's cutting down on greenhouse gases and helping the planet so um yeah drop us a line and um let us know what you want to know and thanks so much for sending your questions in because you know none of us i certainly don't claim to be a a professional vegan and still consider myself three years in to be early on in my journey so to be kind of being introduced to new books or new angles or new questions um is really really insightful for me as well so um yeah really great to see such an array of questions coming in yeah we're so lucky to record this podcast I just yeah I feel very blessed to be you know on this journey with you Gabriella and all our listeners to you know like you say we're all learning I mean even if you've been vegan for 20 years you're still learning and uh, Mm. that's just that's just life isn't it Well, keep listening because next I will be chatting to Simon Hill, who is the host of Plant Proof Podcast. He has the silkiest voice you've ever heard. (laughs) He's he's an Australian um, and he, yeah, he's a nutritionist, a physiotherapist and his new book, uh, The Proof is in the Plants, is out today. Have a listen and we'll see you next week. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for joining us today, all the way from Sydney, Australia. Thank you for having me. Very excited. And as we were just talking off air, I I think you're doing a fantastic job with this show. So well done on, on everything that you've done to date. I think the content's amazing. Oh, bless you. Thank you. I, I really do. Like I was saying, I really do feel like a novice compared to you. You're kind of the king of vegan podcasts. But <laughs> No, um, I, don't, I don't know about that at all. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, obviously, I would have loved to, you know, fly out to Sydney to um, be there in person to chat to you today, but we're on Zoom, unfortunately. Mm. How's the weather over there? It's it's the tail end of, I guess, summer. It still feels like summer. Yeah, it's very hot. Um, yeah, so it's 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 nice. Sydney has a, a nice sort of all year round climate that's fairly comfortable, not too dissimilar to, I guess. Los Angeles. So it doesn't get crazy, crazy hot, but it also doesn't get uh, that cold, you know, in, in the sort of fall, fall time and, and winter. So um, yeah, we, we really enjoy the, the lifestyle here and spend a lot of time outdoors at the, the beach and, and making the most of the weather, that's for sure. So envious. We've, we're, you know, at sort of 
the end of our spring and we're still getting frosts and still walking around wearing jumpers and coats. So <laughs> we're very sun starved here in the UK at the moment. Yeah, it's a little different, but you know, I having not experienced a whole lot of cold weather, I actually really enjoy it. So when I when I visit London, that's really a nice part about it for me. I think it's it's nice to to mix it up and both climates offer something great, that's for sure. Yeah. So some of our listeners are obviously fans of yours and they'll, you know, they'll know who you are. They will have listened to your podcasts. Um, but some, you know, those who are yet to discover, um, you know, what you do. Do you want to sort of start at the beginning? Tell us a bit about your journey. Let's do it. And I do hope we get to do this in person one day too. So next time we can maybe do it in London or Sydney. We'll see how we go. Definitely Sydney. <laughs> let me, <laughs> let me. Let me give you the, a, a summary and, and we can delve deeper into parts as you sort of wish. I am the host of the Plant Proof podcast. So that's, you know, sort of my week to week is is interviewing different people from, from different backgrounds, be it doctors or dietitians or athletes and really just exploring evidence-based nutrition and, and how we can better understand the science that underpins uh, a healthy diet and then how we can use that information to achieve whatever it is that are, that are our health goals, uh, be it prevention of chronic disease or be it sort of performance related. And how I got into this space originally was a, a seed that was really planted when I was 15 years old, believe it or not. I'm 35 now. So we're talking 20 years ago. There was a, an event in my life where my my father had a very significant health scare. And at one day in particular, actually, where he and I were spending the day out visiting uh, the, the sort of vineyards that were local to the rural area that we were living in, in, in Melbourne, uh, Victoria, an area called the Yarra Valley for anyone who, who may be familiar with it. It's, it's quite a, a famous wine district in Victoria. And, you know, this was just really a, a, a thing that we did on weekends to bond you know, dad and son get out and, and do something more so than the, the wine itself. That was just sort of part of the experience. Um, and on this particular day, we spent the day, we, we had an amazing time. We were driving home and dad started to get some quite significant chest pain. And I, I could see the discomfort and he was very much trying to to shield me from it. I was 15 at the time, and of course, he didn't want to sort of overreact. Uh, and my dad's a doctor, so he was very much aware that something quite serious was happening to him uh, in what he was feeling. He hadn't felt that before. It was a, a unique experience. And uh, he, he, though, like a lot of people, you know, you, you go into a state of denial and sort of proceeded to, you know, just pretend like nothing was happening to him. And we got home and he was still in this state of denial and that everything was okay. And I remember we, we had dinner and then I headed off to bed and there was some, some quite loud cluttering around in the kitchen some hours later. So, you know, that was unusual for me to hear that in the kitchen. And of course, I woke up to see what was happening 
And then that's when I saw dad was very breathless, uh, you know, bending over, you know, clearly quite helpless and, and, and in need of some serious help. As a 15-year-old kid, that's very scary because A, you know, it's your dad who's your hero and, and B, you're just not equipped with the information or knowledge to really know how to handle that situation. And we were very, very remote in where we were living, so remote that he called the, the ambulance and then I was explaining the symptoms to the paramedic on the, on the other end of the phone. And they said, well, we need to send a helicopter uh, and we need to get your dad to the nearest hospital, ASAP, uh, essentially describe, describing to me that we needed to do this to save his life. And by that time, obviously, I was quite scared and, and you know, the, the events that occurred after, you know, occurred very quickly. And before I knew it, he was flown out. There wasn't enough room in the helicopter for, for me. So I tailed in, in an ambulance. And by that time, uh, my my uh, mother and my brother were also on the way to the hospital. They weren't actually with us that night because we had two different houses. One was like a country house and one was the in the suburbs. So we were out in the country one. And, you know, that day, uh, I, say, I said earlier, it planted a seed because my grandfather had also... Uh, had a heart attack and and when we turned up to the hospital the i remember the doctors coming out and my brother's a few years older than me and and of course we were asking questions how's dad uh, is he gonna be okay and you know fortunately they saved his life western medicine saved his life the helicopter and the care that he got um, but that's not the case for many people in fact around 60 percent of deaths from cardiovascular disease are Outside of the hospital, sudden cardiac arrest or sudden cardiac death, uh, really no clinically diagnosed symptoms, and that person experiences a fatal heart attack. My dad very luckily escaped that, uh, but that's not the case, sadly, for, for many people. And, and I should say he was only 41 at the time of this, so it's, it's not really something that's on your radar as a you know a male in your early 40s with a young family right and i remember the the doctor coming out to speak to us who, who i now sort of believe would have been a cardiologist probably and we sort of were, were asking you know when will dad be able to get out of here what does this mean and he said look your, your dad's you know he's stable he'll be on some medications for the rest of his life uh you and your brother really need to pay attention because cardiovascular disease runs in families and your grandfather has had a heart attack as well. And really, that was kind of the extent of the education. Now, in fairness to that cardiologist, who I have no idea who it is, uh, you know, that was a brief five, 10-minute type of conversation. And I'm sure if we had much longer, then perhaps there would have been more information but what I took away from that was that, well, you know, this is inevitably probably my fate. My dad's only 41. He, ha- he has a, a weak heart, um, quote unquote weak heart. And so did my grandfather. And, you know, that's probably likely to be what, what, what I will be faced with in, in some 
25 years. And, you know, I carried on my life, I guess, with this kind of limiting belief where the the cardiovascular disease and also, you know, the, the diseases that a lot of my friends' parents or grandparents were experiencing was just normal and that it was, it became normalized for me and I accepted it. And really that's, that's not very empowering at all. And, you know, I went on and did a, a, a physiotherapy degree and went into, to work as a sports physiotherapist with some uh, professional athletes in Melbourne. And it was, you know, at this time I realized that I, I really wasn't equipped with any information around diet and nutrition. And it wasn't my role at the club, but I realized there was a real lack of knowledge, even in that environment at a professional level, which seemed quite odd to me. And, and, and everyone was just following the same sort of cookie cutter, very animal protein obsessed style diet. Um, and, you know, it, it took almost by chance my brother had and and he's not scientific by by any way, sort of academic background he he's in marketing he came across some information that he shared with me and that that information was quite literally just that he'd read that nutrition can play a huge role in preventing cardiovascular disease and he put it in front of me and said you know i want you to to look at this you know we've obviously been told we need to be careful with our heart and you know it was a very caring thing for him to want to share with his younger brother uh and at the same time um quite finally he he was coming up to visit me and i was living in sydney and he was living in melbourne and he called me up and he sort of i could tell he needed to he, he needed to get something off his chest and he said look you know, Lauren, who's now my sister-in-law, his, his uh, fiance at the time, he said, we're coming up. Uh, I just want to let you know we've, we've sort of changed the way that we're eating and looking at food <laughs> just to give me the heads up because they were coming into my house to stay with me and, and knew that I would probably be cooking for them and yeah. uh, we'd be going out to restaurants. And my initial response was like I, I'm a very open-minded type of person, so uh, I said, "Cool. Well, when we go shopping, uh, you, you, you can help me. I don't know <laughs> what you guys are going to want to eat." At this stage, they had adopted uh, a pescatarian diet, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, and and I thought, you know what? It's great. They're they're looking into this, and I will support them if they're wanting to make those changes. But at that time, I didn't, I didn't. I hadn't gone through, you know, the science. It was definitely on my radar from the initial information he'd shared to me, but I hadn't had the time to sort of digest it all. Um, so I just said, look, you know, we'll make it work. Anyway, a few days before he arrives, he calls up again and says, oh, I just I just need to let you know that we're no longer eating fish. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I said, well, where does that leave you? <laughs> like, what – What's left What's on left? the plate? Yeah. Uh, and that was where my, that kind of just shows where, where my mind was at. And I, you know, I was, uh, I was like most people in society. I had the, the blinkers on and, you know, I had accepted what was a, a normal diet and I didn't ask any questions. 
And I said to him, I said, well, that makes things a little bit harder for me, but okay, we'll still do the grocery uh, shopping together. And how about you find the restaurants? Because I, I really didn't know where to begin. And to be completely frank, he came and, and we had a great week together hanging out. And what really gave me some motivation to actually jump into the science was that week I realized how good the food tasted. So I realized by the end of that week that, well, actually eating those foods, I wouldn't be actually, I wouldn't be sacrificing anything. So I'm going to I'm going to do the work and go through the science and and I'm going to do the right thing by you know my health and and also I was thinking about my extended family in terms of spreading this information as 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 you can to your friends and family and I had all of the same fears that most people and in particular males have when it comes to removing these foods chicken and and beef and eggs and, and even fish from your diet and the concerns around uh, performance and physique and strength and all of those very, very valid and very common questions. I had all of them. And there was a part of me that even though I knew the, the, these plant-based dishes tasted amazing, there was a part of me where I thought, that's not going to be that's not going to be the fuel that i need to perform and with that i really wanted to prove to my brother that the what he had shared with me in terms of a healthy diet for a healthy heart was wrong and i wanted to show myself that eating lots of meat was healthy so you know, being the younger brother and there's typically that relationship where you quite often want to prove each other wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I set out to go into, into the science and if anything to prove him wrong and keep those foods on my plate. But the more I was reading, the, the more I was learning that I had a few things backwards. I was very, very animal protein obsessed you know, I wasn't leaning a lot on ultra-processed foods, which was great. That was something I really didn't need to to address too much. Uh, but I had, I had, you know, most of my protein was coming from from animal protein, and I had very little diversity in terms of plants in my diet. And you know, it wasn't long that I was able to see very consistent converging lines in the science that were all pointing in the same direction towards whether whether we're looking at large populations that are eating plant predominant or plant exclusive style dietary patterns or looking at randomized controlled trials they're all pointing in that same direction of a diet that de-emphasizes animal protein a diet that instead emphasizes plant protein is rich in fiber is low in saturated fat which just happened to be you know mostly found in in animal products it's where most of the saturated fat in the western diet comes from and and low in ultra processed foods and so that sort of theme became very obvious to me and you know slowly but surely i i was determined to change my diet and i did that you know over the course of of probably half a year in the end and it was you know as simple as looking at 
most of us cook with five or six standard meals a week um, might look different on Instagram, but we all have <laughs> our household fa- our household favorites, right? Yeah. And I just thought, well, I've got my favorites. I I will make these plant based, and I'll start with with one of them, and that was a lasagna, and and then I I did a tofu scramble, and you know the next one was probably like a stir fry. And I just slowly built up the confidence to move more in that direction. And for me, you know, now I I say all the time that I could easily adopt a sort of plant predominant diet that's say 85, 90% calories from plants. But really, if I'm being truthfully honest, it's the environmental and the animal welfare aspects of a completely plant exclusive diet that keep me. At, at that point where I'm totally excluding animal products. And I think that's, that's an important thing that I try and clarify and, 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 and I've written about in my book as well. Yeah, I, I feel the same, actually. If ever I'm sort of tempted, those are the things that I sort of come back to. Um, science, you talk about science a lot. I mean, presumably you kind of that, you studied that, some of that during your physio training. <laughs> Yeah, so I did. I did physiotherapy. I should have clarified. I did physiotherapy was my first degree, and then I did a master's in nutrition. Right, and was that yeah. after going vegan? No, the so the master's was kind of at the time where I was doing the transition is when I had started that. Uh, by the time I had finished my master's, then yeah, I, I had completely adopted a, a plant exclusive vegan diet. Right. So the nutrition training that you did. I mean, that wasn't a vegan, a plant-based course, presumably. No, but a lot. No, of it-, it wasn't. Yeah, and you know, if you get, if you sort of drill right into the course, you can find a lot of faults. But I actually found overall the the course in terms of teaching you around. I I, I did a research focused master's, so it was more around making sense of, of research. And, and once you have those skills, you can then apply them and, and interpret science. So that's just an invaluable skill set, I think, to have if you're in this space. But, uh, you know, the, the course was still quite evidence-based in terms of that theme that I described earlier. You know, perhaps maybe not as much discussion around plant-based dietary patterns as I would like, uh, but I found that my my sort of my teachers were very receptive and they were very you know across late the latest information. And I think the thing with university courses is they are a little slow to change. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think overall my experience, even though I was very much going through the science in my own time and there were some inconsistencies in the curriculum overall I felt like it was it was you know really worthwhile yeah I know that um, when I first started you know sort of transitioning um, I a friend recommended uh, Michael Greger's How Not to Die which is obviously very um, science-based and mm. that just blew my mind because I thought well you can't argue with these studies you know you the, the hard facts are there. So, yeah. Um, let's talk about nutrition. So, I mean, what I love about nutrition is that, I know you mentioned this on your podcast, is it kind of puts the power of our own health in our own hands. 
but there's so much information out there, isn't there? How can we mm. kind of cut through the the crap, as it were, and and you know not find it so overwhelming? It's a great question. I think, and I in in my in my book, I spend part one talking about confusion why it is that we're confused because i think in order to navigate the current environment that we're all in and what we're exposed to be it on social media or in the the media itself the mainstream media or even in our grocery stores we need to understand where the 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 source of the confusion is coming from and when we can see that it's so much easier to navigate so i i I'd like to really simplify this down. Uh, I think a, a really, a really important thing for people to understand is that, you know, when I wrote this book, my my book, I really asked myself, does the world need another diet book? There are so many books out there, right? And there's always a new one on, you know, some a low carb diet or the latest juice cleanse or or whatever, and it's it it gives this it gives everyone this idea that we don't know what a healthy diet is and everyone's disagreeing with everyone. So therefore science isn't settled, throw your hands up in the air and just keep doing what you're doing. And it's a fatigue thing, right? When everyone's shouting at different directions, I completely understand for, for the average person that just wants to understand what to eat. That's really hard. That's really hard. Say is, you know, there are, Social media can be so valuable from a nutrition perspective, but it can be incredibly dangerous at the same time. And there's a lot of false equivalence. And, and when I say false equivalence, that is, it's very difficult, very difficult as a layperson on social media to understand the information that's being shared, how, how rigorous is the science behind that idea. And what I mean by that is, let me give you an example. You know, in nutrition science, there's an evidence hierarchy, and you know, down at the bottom is kind of expert opinion, and a layer above that is laboratory studies, in vitro studies, looking at cells and tissues, and uh, you know, even animal studies, as bad as they are. That's that's the layer that those that 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 they're they're down the bottom, and and that is the least reliable research, right? And and least reliable evidence, expert opinion, laboratory studies. And then as you go up, you you get to observational research where you're looking at large populations of people living in the real world. And you know, you can observe them and you can see the different health outcomes for different people who are eating different diets. And you can run statistical analyses to to make sure that if you're comparing a a vegan with an omnivore, you're only comparing a vegan with an omnivore who weighs the same amount, who does the same amount of exercise. And you can do that to try and tease out what is the independent effect of the diet. It's not perfect, but we can get a good idea. And, and when that becomes powerful is when population you know, from Japan and North America and Europe and Australia, all the, the results from all these different populations are all pointing in the same direction. And then the next layer above that is randomized controlled trials. And that's when we can really control things. They're much more expensive, but we can make sure that the only difference between two groups or more groups 
is that is is the variable that we're looking at, be it diet. So everything else is exactly the same. So that's that next level of reliability. Now, what I what I was saying around information online, you can have someone who has tried a carnivore diet and or a low carb ketogenic diet and personally has experienced amazing they feel better, right? But that anecdote is is very unreliable. And it's unreliable for a number of reasons. We actually we have no idea what dietary changes they made. Uh, we we don't know, it's compared to what we don't know what diet they came from or what their circumstances are. And what happens online is often people become champions of a certain diet based on their personal experience with that. And I, I don't want to discount personal experience; it's important, but it's 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 a false equivalence when that is then used to make public health recommendations that go against what higher levels of higher quality science is showing. And I think that becomes dangerous. And, and I, I, I think it becomes dangerous because in that case, in the low-carb sort of ketogenic, very animal-based or carnivore diet, if you feel better, there are a lot of things that can make you feel better in six months or in a year that it is not indicative of long-term health. And the chronic diseases that are plaguing our societies, the type 2 diabetes, the colorectal cancer, the heart attacks, the strokes, these have very long latency periods. They bubble away under the skin, for under the surface for a long time before you have that event like my father or before you developed type 2 diabetes or before you developed dementia. And so we, we, we need to be very careful about information that's shared online that is not evidence-based. Now, back to your initial question, how can the average person work that out? Well, one thing that I think is, is tremendously valuable is if you look at the major medical guidelines, if you look at the, the, the latest endocrinology guidelines out of America, if you look at the American Heart Association, the European uh, College of, of uh, Cardiology, if you look at the American Cancer Society, all of these guidelines, and you look at their lifestyle guidelines and what they say about diet, all of them, all of them are advocating for plant-based dietary patterns. They're all advocating for diets that are low in saturated fat, that are rich in unsaturated fats, that are rich in fiber, that are rich in plant protein, and that are low in ultra-processed foods. And they are all consistent and, and they're all formulated by a team, a committee of people who are experts, but they go through and review the science. So they have to go through and review all those levels that I just said in a very systematic process. And the neat thing is all of those committees are made up of people who actually personally eat very different ways. But all of those guidelines all come to that same conclusion that when you look at the randomized controlled trials, when you look at these large population studies and when you get down and look at the mechanisms in a, a sort of laboratory microscope uh, type view, they all converge and they all point in the same direction. And I, I try to really walk the, the reader through this in the book because when you understand that, you're in control of how you eat and you won't be derailed the next time there's a crazy you know, headline. So that's... That's what I think. I, I usually lean back on those medical guidelines, and you know, if if you see if you see information online 
really try to understand or ask questions where where have they where have they formed that opinion from is that from a personal experience is that from studies on rats which rarely play out in humans you know is that is that really reliable research from a randomized control randomized controlled trial it might be but you really want to tease out you know what is the level of evidence that they're using to make that decision and i think you know very quickly you can work out online who is truly evidence-based and is in line with those guidelines and who is promoting something that is completely out of line with the medical guidelines. Such a good point. You know, just don't don't believe everything that you read online. There's so much information out there. And, you know, even within, you know, the plant-based community, you know, do we need, need to take supplements? Should we, you know, are we getting enough protein? There's it just can become so overwhelming, can't it? Um, I know in episode 121 of your podcast, you talk about sort of being guided by how we feel ourselves. And I thought that was a really good point because I know personally, if I wake up and have like a lemon water or a juice and don't eat until a bit later in the day, I will feel great. But if I wake up and have, say, a cup of red bush tea and avocado on sourdough toast, which isn't like, you know, it's not like it's processed or some awful breakfast to have, but I won't feel as good. And obviously, when I'm talking to friends and family, they kind of, I think sometimes they think I'm a bit crazy because they're like, well, but that's healthy. You know, you're being silly, but it is it is about how you feel. And it, I, I guess in that sense, it's almost a personal thing. Thing. Well, and you're you're speaking to personalized nutrition, and I think this is a really important point. So, what I described earlier as the characteristics of a healthy diet, the being, uh, you know, that I, I reeled off all of those things, and I won't reel it reel it off again. But naturally, that is achieved when you eat a diet that is plant predominant or plant exclusive, right? And and that gives us a theme a set of sort of characteristics and we understand that if you're eating in that fashion there's going to be a lot of calories coming from fruits vegetables from whole grains legumes nuts and seeds for some people that's where all their calories will come from for others there might be a small amount of animal protein still in the diet now that's not to say that within that you shouldn't listen to your body and adapt to a way of eating, adapt to a plant-based diet that works best for you, you absolutely should. And there are many things that we still don't understand around the microbiome, and there's definitely differences from person to person. Now, those differences are, are, it's highly unlikely, we do not believe that's going to change the overall theme. That theme that we understand that's heart healthy, that is healthy for cognition and, and maintaining your cognitive health later into life for reducing our risk of type 2 diabetes, for reducing our risk of various cancers is very solid research that we have mountains of data for. But going forward 10, 20 years, we we may have more science and tools that allow people to better identify what are little tweaks that they can make to, to have them feeling their best. So, you know, for now, while we don't have amazing tools and, and tests to do that, the the best 
the best way of doing it is, is as you said, listen to your body. Um, absolutely. And if you know that doing something leaves you feeling better, uh, as long as you're doing that within that overall theme and, and dietary pattern, then I think that's a, that's a great thing to play around with. So does your book, is the whole focus nutrition? Or do you kind of explore other areas of plant-based eating? There are, there are elements in the book around other sort of pillars of lifestyle. Uh, but the, the main focus of this book is to clear confusion around what we should eat, to show you the sources of that confusion so you can identify them. The way you will never walk through the grocery store the same after you read this you will see things and you will be aware of them when you see a, a news headline for lack of a better term i hope that the information in part one immunizes you against misinformation so you are bulletproof and you don't feel like you need to completely change your diet every six months and, and jump from one to the other and the second part is actually walking you through the science so you understand where the consensus position is coming from. And then I expand into the pillars, the pillar of all life on the planet. And I look at planetary health as well and, and how our food choices affect the, the world around us and all, all, all life around us, uh, which is an, an important thing, I think, for all of us to be aware of and to to be more connected with and then to determine where that lands for us and make the appropriate changes that feel right. And then in part three, this is, this is the practical section. So, you know, I wrote the book so that if someone is already, let's say eating a plant exclusive vegan diet, they will get a, a huge amount of information that will help them further optimize it and get even better results. But I also wrote it for the person who is very new to, to plant-based eating and may just want to dip their toes in the water or may, may, want, may want to do an overnight switch, whatever it is that they feel is right for them. But there's information in that section that should speak to, to both people. So that's a common question I, I've had is who's the book for? Mm. Uh, I've made, I made sure that when I was writing that section, I was considering all, all of those people. Yeah, I'm really excited to read it. What would your, you talk about optimizing our vegan diets. I mean, what would your sort mm. of top three tips be? In, in making the shift, I have eight principles. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll touch on a few of these. So I would say the, this principle four is nutrients of focus. And I want to preface this by saying that all diets need to be appropriately planned. All diets. If you, if you are not appropriately planning an omnivorous diet, it can, can go awry. And, and I think the, the current chronic disease plague is is evidence of that that's you know not a diet that has been serving us very well uh, and and the same goes for a plant predominant or plant exclusive diet there are nutrients that you want to be aware of nutrients of focus i call them it's not anything to be alarmed by they're all easily covered but for best results, you want to you want to make sure that your diet's not only health promoting in that it's low in saturated fat and low in ultra processed foods, but at the same time as as reaping all of those benefits of for for risk reduction of chronic disease, you're getting all of the micronutrients. So I talk in there, and and not just micronutrients. I talk about uh, omega three fats, 
I talk about uh, there's eight nutrients of focus that I go through, and in each one, I talk about where you can get them from from food or whether you should consider supplementation. And I go through omega three fats, uh, vitamin B twelve, vitamin D, and then five minerals, being uh, calcium, iron, iodine, zinc, and selenium. And you know some of those are as easy as you know, having one or two Brazil nuts in a day is, is going to get you over the line on the selenium. So it's, it's, it's not an overwhelming amount of information or things you need to learn. But once you're aware of them, you will be able to get more out of your diet and you, you will feel better and more confident with what you're doing because often those are the questions that the friend or the family member will say, well, what about your iron or what about your bones uh, with calcium? Uh, yeah, but, but B12, taking a B12 supplement is not natural. I've covered all of that in, in the book to give you the answers and give you the confidence. Um, so that's, that's one thing that's nutrients of focus. I talk a lot about fiber and the importance of having a diversity of plants in our diet. And quite, quite briefly, I'll, I'll explain why this is so important. Our our microbiome, the bacteria in our that resides in our colon in our large intestine, that that bacteria is very much we're living in a symbiotic relationship with it, and if we look after it, it really rewards us. And when I say it rewards us, it it keeps our gut healthy locally, but then throughout the body, it's doing incredible things like you know improving our blood sugar control decreasing inflammation you know uh, having an effect on certain molecules that affect how our 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 mental health and how our brain operates so the the really important thing to understand here is that there are so many different types of bacteria and these little healthy gut bugs just like us have different taste preferences and they feed on prebiotics these are a, a, a a type of fiber or resistant starch and polyphenols all found in plants and the the prebiotic fiber or these molecules differ from plant to plant and they will each selectively feed different gut bugs so to keep the community thriving you need to be <laughs> supplying in a diversity of these different prebiotics they're feeding on them you're they're feeding on them. You're looking after them. They're growing stronger in numbers. And at the same time, they're rewarding you. As they're feeding, they're creating these secondary metabolites, these molecules that have profound impacts on our health, as I said, both in the gut and downstream throughout the body. So that would be the second thing. And importantly, fiber is only found in plants. It's, it's not found in animal products and it's relatively you know, stripped away in ultra-processed foods. So as you shift, as you downshift on animal protein and eat, eat more uh, foods like legumes and you downshift on ultra-processed foods where in the UK around 50% of the average person's calories come from, in Australia it's, it's a little bit lower but not too much lower and in America it's even higher, there's a huge opportunity there. When you, when you start trading those foods – for for whole plant foods you're getting instant gains in fiber and you're shifting towards that 30 plus grams of fiber a day that is the recommended amount to reduce one's risk of chronic disease so that's that's two and you know 
it's difficult for me to choose out of the sort of eight principles for, <laughs> for a, a, a third one. But I guess the other part of optimizing that I've spoken about in the book is there are people who are interested from a performance point of point of view who may do little tweaks to their diet to get the results that they're seeking, to get the results that they're seeking. So for example, if someone is looking to build muscle, to grow new muscle, we have great research showing that you can do this absolutely with plant protein and that there is no significant difference between animal and plant protein as long as you're getting the total protein intake right and particular amino acids. And I don't want to go into too much detail in case this goes into to the weeds, but it's it's actually very simple. Is that the, the 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 take home point here is I talk about that in the book and it's actually very simple. If someone has that desire to adopt a plant predominant or exclusive diet but still wants to build muscle and is is very uh, very physically active and has sort of performance goals, they can do it. And yes, there are a couple tweaks where it changes what the standard whole food plant-based sort of plate would look like, but it's all very achievable. So um, those, are, those are the three things that I would probably point to. Okay, thank you. Well, I'd encourage anyone to grab a copy of the book. I think, you know, even if you have been vegan a long time, it's it's all a journey, isn't it? And like you say, you often get, you know, quizzed or questioned. I know I still do by family and friends, you know, but what about this and, and what about this new study? So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading that. So just to finish, who has been your podcast? I mean, you've been running it for good few years now haven't you yeah three and a half years now three and a half years so and who's been your favorite guest (laughs) you're gonna get going going to get me in trouble here (laughs) i usually don't don't play favorites i try and i try not to so that they want to come back on the show yeah (laughs) uh look what rather than than state my personal favorites because i really i mean as you would know i i you get something out of all of the conversations and you learn something, you know, you learn something that you didn't think you would have from, from different guests. Uh, You know, I had Dr. Gemma Newman on who I'm sure you're familiar with in the, in the UK. And I, I, I really love the, the way that she educates and her, 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 the compassion that she has. Uh, And so I think that was, you know, that, that was a fantastic conversation and we spoke about some interesting topics in there. I would say Dr. Will Bolsowitz, who actually wrote the forward of, kindly wrote the forward to my book. Uh, you know, he, he and I have done, I think, five episodes so far and really you know, some, some of his work in those episodes is a, is a real masterclass of, of gut health and really diving deep into very deep into the microbiome and you know things like irritable irritable bowel syndrome and looking at you know different different uh, gastroenterology type illnesses that he sees in his clinic and and where the science lies so those two sort of you know jump out at me but there's been some amazing guests i've i've had rich roll on twice and He's become a great friend of mine. So, uh, you know, too many to to select from. Uh, but I will say it's 
it's just an I mean, I wouldn't call it a job, but it's 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 just an incredible thing to to be able to do, and it's opened so many doors by by connecting with all of these really inspiring people. So I couldn't be more thrilled that I started it because you know, like everyone, when when you want to start something new, your mind is telling you every reason not to do it. And you know, I, I when I the first week I started, I I was very close to not starting at all. I thought I'm going to be terrible at this. I'm going to be so bad. You know, people are not going to want to listen to me. Uh, you know, fortunately, I've had some good guests, so that, that keeps people coming back. I think I feel the same. I feel so privileged to to do this as a job, and you know, like you say, every single person you speak to, whether they're well known or or not known at all, they're experts in their fields, and you learn so much, and you come away feeling so inspired. Mm. I mean. You know, I come off off the Zoom calls. Um, obviously, with COVID, I haven't actually mm-hmm. ever done a podcast um, in real life with anyone. I expect it's different for you, isn't it? Because you haven't been so badly affected over there. But um, yeah, you just come away and and you just want to go and tell everybody all this information that you've learned. So it's mm-hmm. um yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. Just to finish, can I be really cheeky and ask you to give a shout out to a very good friend and a very inspirational woman in my life and a lot of people's lives, actually. Um, She's a a plant-based PT and she also runs um, plant-based workshops, but she's been um, injured for quite a few months now and she's one of your biggest fans, Simon. Okay, well... Firstly, thank you for listening to the shows and, and, and I hope that you've derived some value from those. It sounds like you've had a bit of a tough trot, but you know, I hope that you turn the corner. It sounds like everyone around you needs you and needs that inspiration. So from me to you, get well, get well soon and uh, keep fighting. Well, that brings us to the end of our first No Meat May special. I couldn't resist that quick shout out to my friend and colleague, Catherine Short, who runs Raw for Fitness. Um, go check her out. Thank you so much for listening this week. We hope to see you next week. Uh, stick with it. If you're new to going meat free or veganism, we'll have loads more tips. And don't forget to send us your questions. Have a great week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.